Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Amen. That was awesome. The Spirit of God is in living rooms right now. Let's press into that. So we're in our last and third installment of this series, Underground. And literally, we're broadcasting to you today from a basement, underground. You can't make this stuff up. God spoke to us in November before this virus was even a thing and told us to do this Underground series. And the timing is just incredible. God just doesn't waste anything. So I want you to press in. This, this is a word that has been stirring on my heart now for three to four months, and I am beyond ready to give it. I, I really wanted to be all together. I, I, there's so much value in gathering, and I think that when we do come together again, we're just going to, it's going to explode. Because, um, man, I, I love you so much. I love our church. I love our family so much. Uh, And God's doing something special. He's been doing it for five years, and he's continuing it for five years. So a while back, uh, I was in a a country that doesn't allow Christianity. And uh, I was there for work, and I I was eating breakfast one day at this hotel lobby. And and this, this country, they don't allow the gospel to be preached. They don't allow any, you know, Bibles. They ban Bibles. They, um, you just can't have that. You, you don't hear of, uh, of Christianity being preached. And so the church literally has to go underground there. And I'm sitting in this hotel having breakfast and I'm listening to the background music, you know, that they have uh, at, at big hotel breakfasts. And it's in the the language of this country. You know, I'm not really paying attention. And all of a sudden, I I have a a spoonful of granola I'm putting in my mouth. And all of a sudden, the music changes. And the words change. And I hear an English worship song come on. And it's like, stops me in my tracks. I'm like, what is happening? And I look around, like, does anybody else hear what's going on? And everyone else was just carrying on their way. And like, maybe the Holy Spirit just made my ears to hear that. I don't know. Maybe he just slipped one in on the radio station. I don't know what he's doing, but it was awesome. And it triggered this thought in me and just it stuck with me ever since that moment of, man, the underground church. Are we prepared to go underground? If our Bibles, God forbid, we speak against that. But if that ever was taken away from us, you better believe we go underground. Just like we are today. You better believe it. And, and I think God is preparing our hearts. He's, he didn't cause this, I don't believe, but he's using it, yeah. right? He, 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 he takes the sword of Goliath and he turns it around and he uses David, the heart of David, that's you and I, to cut off the giant's head. And so we've got to rise up in faith right now. We cannot back down in fear. That doesn't mean we, we don't take precautions or take it seriously. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this is a time to use this isolation, to use this solitude, to press into the spirit of God and what he's doing all across the earth. He is using this to shake his church, to shake the world back to him. And if you can't see that, you need to open your eyes. 
So I've been, this whole, this whole concept of this series, Underground, then was to really allow three weeks of preachers not using the scriptures to prepare a message that was in their heart. And so we've done that. It's been, it's been difficult, but it's been such a good, valuable experience to just rely on what you've already memorized and meditated and put in on your heart. And so a couple of months ago, I was memorizing Revelation 1. And I haven't completed it fully yet, but about a month ago, I put, I, I haven't looked at it. I put it away. And uh, I'm just relying on what God has that I've put in my heart for this this message so it's going to be raw and vulnerable and that's the way I am anyway um so this is awesome this is going to be a great test of the emergency broadcasting system (laughs) so revelation the word revelation is the word apocalypse in Greek okay and when you and I think of an apocalypse we think of coronavirus we think of something happening that's that's destroying the earth destroying humanity well that's not what apocalypse means apocalypse means the unveiling and so in the passion translation which is the version i'm I'm memorized revelation one in it begins by this It, it it says this is the unveiling of jesus christ A couple months ago, I, I told this story before, but it bears repeating. I was uh, in Chile for work, the country of Chile, not Chillicothe. I love you, Chillicothe. <laughs> and uh, I was there for a couple weeks, so I was, I was there over the weekend. And Saturday morning, one Saturday morning, I slept in. Well, back in January, it's summer in Chile. It's opposite of the winter we have here. And so the sun is up early and it's up late. And, you know, I maybe, I can't remember exactly, but maybe I slept in until 9 a.m. that morning. I was glorious. It was awesome. But I had these shades on my windows that completely blacked out the room. So when I woke up, it was completely dark. And it wasn't until I went over to the shade and, and pulled it open that I un- unveiled the sun that was already there. Okay, here's the thing. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere but he's requiring you and me to pull back the shade, to unveil more and more of who he is. He's been revealing himself through all generations. And his goal is to reveal the heart of the Father more and more and more to you. But you have to be the one to reach up and draw back the curtain. You have to be the one to rip that wide open to see, allow the brightness of the sun to affect your heart. Get it? So to fully understand what's going on in Revelation 1, we have to kind of go back and do a little history lesson. Um, the Apostle John was the one that received the Revelation and wrote the Revelation. It's, it's a letter to the churches. And at this point in time, it's about 92 AD. And John is um, in, in his mid-80s. So he's, a, he's an older guy. And if you remember history, uh, Emperor Nero, just before this time, the Emperor Nero of Rome, he had just wreaked havoc on the Christians. He'd started, uh, he built the Colosseum, or at least started the games in the Colosseum, where they'd feed Christians to the lions. I mean, you talk about a time to be alive. That, that makes what we're facing seem like nothing. Yeah. I'm not making light of it, but it, it does. And you had to really decide, 
at that moment in time who you were following, what voice you were following. And so many Christians were literally fed to the lions as people watched for sport. And this is the time that the church exploded. The church grew. It went underground. And John, during this time, he's, he's a father figure in the church, right? He, but at this time, he's seeing brothers that are alongside him of him die. Paul is crucified under Nero. Peter is crucified upside down. Timothy is murdered. All of the colleagues of John are literally dead. And then a guy by the name of Domitius comes along, the emperor, the Caesar, after Nero. And if you think Nero was an evil guy, Domitius took this to a whole nother level. And what he did is he required, he, he required throughout the Roman Empire, he required people to come into a temple of his, where his statue was, and take a, a pinch of incense and throw it upon his statue and kneel and say, Caesar Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. That's what Christians were facing in the early church. And the church exploded. Well, John was not about to do that. John was not about to proclaim a man as Lord. And so he refused to do it. Now, Rome had kind of learned a few lessons by what they had done to you know, Peter and Paul and Timothy. And by doing what they did to those, those um, catalysts of the faith, they actually saw the church increase in rebellion, if you will. An increase in the underground circles. And so they said, well, we, we can't kill John because that'll backfire on us. You know, he's, he's disobeying um, Caesar, but we can't kill him because then the church will just rise up even more. So what they did is, is um, they took John and they brought him to an island, an island called Patmos. And Patmos was a rock quarry. Think about how the, emperor, the empire of Rome is expanding all across the known world at that time. Well, they, they had used the aggregate products on Patmos, taking big rocks and making them into small rocks. It's the industry that I'm in today. And they put John on that island as a prisoner, probably to beat rocks to a pulp to serve the Roman Empire, but also to get him away from the churches. And so this is what John is facing as he writes Revelation. This is incredible. This is some of the reason why I believe he puts so much um, uh, mystery into it, why God puts so much mystery into it, but there, because there's no doubt that his letters would have probably had to have been scrutinized by the Romans before they went out to the churches. And so there's a whole lot of reason why there's mystery in Revelation, but it's, a lot of it is because we need to unveil it. We need to, to uh, see what Jesus is doing in our day, in our time. And I believe we're in the tribulation. We've been in the tribulation since uh, Jesus Christ died. And his return is coming at some point in time. That's a whole nother message. So don't get sidetracked on that. So John's on the island of Patmos. He's in his mid-80s. There were 40,000 Christians that we know of that were killed under Domitius in that era. 40,000 at that time is a large 
number of people that refused to bow to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord, and they, they said instead, Jesus is Lord. It may cost me my earthly life, but I'm not going to bow to the empire. And that's where we find John as he's experiencing Revelation 1. And he says this halfway through the chapter. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Remember, he's on an island. He's on Patmos. He's possibly beating rocks to a pulp all day long as a prisoner. And his heart is breaking, I'm sure, for the churches that he was overseeing, the seven churches that all of a sudden had their father figure, the last of the disciples, the last of the first apostles ripped away from them. I'm sure their hearts were breaking as they're in this underground mode. And I, I, I have to imagine that he is just battling fear and depression because he's human just like you and me. And he's like, Jesus, really, is this the end? Maybe it would be better if they did crucify me, if they did kill me. But he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's so key. It's so key for us to turn off the, the voice of the world, get in the Spirit, and hear the voice of our Father. It is so critical that we turn off the voice of the world and get in the Spirit, step with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, because only then because can the rest of this transpire. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then he said, I heard a voice from behind me. I heard a voice, an audible voice from behind him that sounded like a trumpet sound. I don't know if the Romans heard it. I don't know if it was like that music playing for me in that country. Maybe just John heard it. But he heard an audible voice that was as loud as a trumpet behind him. And this, when I was memorizing this a couple months ago, this, these are the three words that just struck me so deeply. In Revelation 1. He said, I was in a spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a voice behind me as loud as a trumpet. And then he said, when I turned. When I turned. If you remember anything from today's message, remember this. When you turn, everything changes. When you turn, everything changes. And that we're talking about the disciple that Jesus loved, a guy in his mid-80s that had followed Jesus from the moment he had met him, and he's saying, man, I needed to turn. Hello? I needed to turn when I turned. Remember that moment when John and his brother and his father were on the boat? They were fixing their nets. And this rabbi comes walking down the shoreline. And he looks at them, I imagine with these piercing eyes, and says, hey, come, follow me. That was the first moment that John turned. 
And I'm sure you've had a similar experience. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've turned to him, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you've confessed and believed in your heart, then you are, you are saved. That was your moment of first turning. That was your John moment on the shoreline where everything changed for you. But I want to speak this out right now. And here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, you can turn to him right now. In your living room, in your car, wherever you're listening to this, you just turn. You say, Jesus, I turn to you. I choose you. I don't choose Nero. I don't choose a man's voice. I choose one voice, and I'm going to walk in the Spirit. So God, seal me with the Spirit. I'm, I'm turning to you in this moment. I believe there's some people right now that are turning their hearts for the first time and having a shoreline experience with Jesus Christ. But then there's another group of people if you've already turned that once, you're not done. You're not done turning. You got to keep on turning. John said, when I turned, that's the moment everything changed for him on the island of exile. You're in a moment of exile right now. This is crazy. This is what John wrote just before that. He said, and this gives me so much hope and so much clarity because he said, when I was exiled on the island of Patmos, I was exiled for two reasons, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Do not let this isolation time let you feed on the voice of the world. Let this isolation time be a time where you turned and know that you are isolated for a purpose, that your isolation is actually bringing the word of God to life. That's what it did for John. If he, if he didn't realize this, if he didn't unveil Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have the book of, letter, of Revelation. We wouldn't have the letters of Revelation. He knew there was a purpose in the chaos. He knew that there was a purpose in, even though there was a real enemy, and I believe this virus is from the pit of hell. Even though there was a government back then that was against Christians, that put them to death, God uses those things for his own purposes, for his own glory, and he turns it around. When you turn, he turns. When you turn your heart to him, He's right there waiting for you. That's all he's wanting from you. So John knew that because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, that's why I'm exiled. You know, this church, Church 214, we've, we've kind of been underground for a long time. We've talked about this. We've, we've had prophetic words about this. We've, we've, we've been kind of this underground church for the last five years, kind of in a nondescript building in Peoria, Illinois, Growing a root system, growing a root system that's ready to support a big tree, an oak tree. You have to have substantive roots underground to support the weight of what's coming. The heart condition always comes first. The root system always comes first. But we have to remember we are exiled for a purpose. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We, we sang that song earlier. Do it again. That's what the testimony of Jesus is. It says in Revelation 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he did once, he's going to do again. But we got to declare that. 
And it starts in your heart. It starts in your living room. It starts in the exile that you're in right now. So John had been turning his entire life towards Jesus. It wasn't just the the moment on the shoreline where he followed the master, that rabbi, that one day. It was, remember the Mount Transfiguration. The the three of them, and he was one of the, the, the three disciples that was chosen by Jesus to go up to the mountain. And we hear a lot about Peter in that passage because he just wouldn't shut his mouth, but... And I love Peter, but I so relate to John. And John saw the glory of the Father descend upon the Son. He saw the brightness of the face of Jesus, and he fell on his face before him. That was another turning point for John. Remember the Last Supper? They're having communion together, and, and I hope you're taking advantage of these days and times to have communion around the table with your families. That's what, you know, communion isn't just about a glass of grape juice or wine and, and a piece of bread. It's, it's, it's about a meal together. God does something when people come together that are worshiping him that's a spiritual thing. And mealtime are so important. And we're, we're able through this season to, to not even have to be intentional about it. We're forced into this communion. So embrace that. Embrace this time of exile with your family. But John, remember, he's at the Last Supper with Jesus, and he's sitting right next to him. He's got his head literally on Jesus' shoulders. John was always turning towards him. That's why he was so confident enough to call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. It wasn't arrogance. It was the fact that he knew the love of Jesus was for him. He knew, and so all these turning experiences prepared him for the island of Patmos when he was all alone. He was isolated from the church. The churches that he loved, the churches that he was fathering. And I think we can get a little taste of that right now. But man, what a glorious day when we all get back together. I I pray that we don't take church for granted. I pray that now it doesn't become just an option on a Sunday morning. I pray that for your family, it's like, I will burst through the gates of hell to get to my church. And then John, remember the moment when Jesus was on the cross. He had the weight of the world's sin, your sin, my shame, my guilt on his body that he was literally taking and breathing laborious breaths, trying to get some last few gulps of air. And John's down there standing next to his mother. And he looks at John. He says, John, that's your mother now. He said, okay. See, John was always turning to Jesus. He had this history of turning to Jesus. And I just pray that we would get into our hearts this this turning back to him. We never stop. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily moment by moment. Man, I got to turn my heart back right now. I got to be sensitive enough to the spirit. When I was in the spirit, that's when he turned. We got to walk with the spirit in, in order to know when to turn back to him. Remember the, uh, the time after the resurrection and the disciples were like, man, I don't know what to do. 
The only thing we know what to do is to fish, so let's just go back fishing. So they're fishing. They catch nothing, of course. And they hear a voice from shore. They can't see the man, but they hear the man. And the man says, in Greek, he says, Padion, which means little children. And if you read the writings of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you're going to see that word everywhere. And as soon as John heard the voice, as soon as he heard Pahadion, he knew who it was because his heart was always turning towards Jesus. He was ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to hear his voice at any moment? It starts by being in the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit. And I think that's why God gave John the privilege of writing Revelation is because he could hear his voice so clearly above the fray. I mean, think about, I've just been thinking about what it must have been like in the Roman Empire to be stuck on an island beating rocks up all day long as an 85-year-old man that's supposed to be leading a church, and yet he turned his exile, he turned his isolation into leading the church into writing the revelation, into writing the unveiling, which is so, it's been important for the church from that moment on. But it's so important that we understand what's going on. You know, there's nothing new written in Revelation. Revelation is actually just an overview of the entire Bible. But the way John uses this mystery, the way God unveils it to him, means he's still unveiling things to us. But we've got to pull back the curtains. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice from behind me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, you know what the lampstands represent? They represent the church. In the middle of the lampstands was the son of man. In the middle He hasn't gone anywhere, my friends. We may be in basements and in living rooms. We may be isolated right now, but he's in the middle of all of this. He's standing right there in his full glory. And it's just about you ripping back those curtains to see him in his full majesty and glory. And John tries to describe to us the best that he can with human words the the son of man that he is seeing. And the son of man language, it goes back to Daniel. So the churches knew what he, who he was talking about. The son of man who the ancient of days was. And the ancient of days was the son of man. He, he claimed the highest victory. And John sees the son of man in the middle of the church. And he, he describes him. He, he's saying, he says, he had a full length robe on. We, we sang that song to open this, this uh, uh, morning about Jesus with his robe walking into the room. And that robe is, it, it defines Jesus as a, both a priest and a king. A priest and a king. And it says he had a golden sash across his chest. And the sash represents kingship. It, it wasn't, he didn't, most of the time back then they had, um, they wore like a rope or, or around their waist. But Jesus, the son of man standing in the middle, had a golden sash across his chest. He was a king. And then John says his head 
and his hair were white like wool. And that describes the wisdom, both the wisdom and the glory of Jesus. Can you imagine his just, John's trying to describe it. He says, he's using this language like it was like this, but he can't fully describe this amazing Jesus that he's seeing. It was a real, this was a real visitation from a real person on that island. He heard a voice and he turns and he sees Jesus in all of his glory and his splendor. And he says his eyes were like burning flames of fire that pierce right into your soul. You can't see him when your back is turned to him. You can't see him when your back is turned to him. He said his feet were like gleaming bright metal. Just the, the power and authority that he carries. He's not going anywhere. He's unshakable. His kingdom that we're in is unshakable. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And back in, the, in that era, they believed that there were seven planets. The, the Romans did. That there were seven planets and they both had gods associated with them. And Jesus is like, no. I got it. I got it all right here. I got the corona right in my hand right here. I can, I can just crush it if I want to. And out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. His word is so powerful. It cuts to the dividing of soul and spirit of joint and marrow. And his face was shining like the brightness of the brightest sun. And that's a reference to the priestly blessing. When we turn towards him, he turns towards us, and his face is upon us. And John did what you and I would have done in that moment. He fell on the ground as though he were dead. As though he were dead. And Jesus, I don't know if he squashed the planets in his right hand, I don't know what he did, but it says Jesus placed his right hand upon John's shoulder. So now he's heard him, he's seen him, and he's felt him. And he places his right hand on John's shoulder and says this, don't yield to fear. This is a message that you all need to hear right now. Jesus has got his right hand upon you. And he's saying, don't yield to fear. And then he says this, I am the beginning and I'm the end. The living one. I was dead, but look, I'm now alive. And he said, I hold the keys that unlock death and unlock the unseen world. See, part of so much with the fear that's going on right now is because it's a, an enemy that you can't see. And the demonic realm is thriving on that. It's just thriving on that. And Jesus says, hey, turn around and look at me. I'll place my right hand on you. I'll reassure you. I'll tell you don't yield to fear. And you just proclaim that I'm the living one, that I'm your beginning and I'm your ending, that I hold the keys I took the keys from the enemy. It's already done. It's already done. We have to proclaim that with confidence. We have to live in that with confidence. Why don't we 
whatever living room or basement or uh, place that you're in, if you're driving, keep driving. (laughs) But wherever you are right now with your families, why don't you open your hands up? And I, I'm, I, actually, I actually think we need to get on our knees. We physically need to get on our knees in our living rooms. I know your children are doing it right now, so you better do it along with them. Just get on your knees like you actually believe he's here because he is. He is here. He is just as here as he was on the island of Patmos in John's exile. He is here, but it takes getting into the spirit to fully see him. It takes getting into the spirit to fully hear him. It takes turning towards him to feel his touch. Just let him speak to you. Jesus, we're We're so broken right now as a world. But we embrace the brokenness. Whatever we need to turn from means we need to turn to you. We hear your voice, and it might be behind us, so God, we turn When I turned, everything changed, John said. Everything changed. God, we turn. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn, and turn, and turn from their wicked ways, and turn from their wicked ways, and turn, that's when you'll heal our land. You have the healing right in your hands. It's right there, God, we turn. We humble ourselves. We say, this has changed us forever. This has marked us forever because you've marked us and we remember who we are marked by. It's not the enemy. It's you, Jesus. We turn to you, Jesus. We say once again, if we're 85 or if we're five, we say, I turn, God, in this moment. I turn to you. Take my heart, God, and just turn it around so I can see you in your full glory and splendor. We want to hear you. We want to see you. And we want to feel your touch. So, God, I pray that your spirit would just fall right now in living rooms. The living rooms of central Illinois, the living rooms of the world, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're on your knees from, that your spirit would fall and infect us. Infect us, Jesus. We are carriers, but we're carriers of your presence. That's what we declare. We are carriers of something far much greater than a virus. We're carriers of the presence of Jesus. And when we're released to go, and we can go right now over the internet, over places, man, we carry that. That's what Peoria means. It means carrier. We are carriers of your presence, and we declare that. And because we're in the Spirit, because we've heard your voice, because we've turned, because we've seen you, and because we've felt you, now we can go write a book too. Oh God, help us to unveil you, to draw back the curtains so we can see you in your full majesty. In your full majesty.
We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you for tribulations. Because in tribulation, there's also the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't go away. The kingdom rises up in faith. And we feel your right hand on our shoulder. Your reassuring right hand saying, don't yield to fear. And so we don't. We yield to you. We rise up in faith. All across these living rooms, all across this land, all across this world, you're shaking the nations right now, God. And we declare that our hearts are shaken back towards you. Like never before, we are resolute to follow one voice, to say, Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Kyrios. We thank you for what governments are doing all across the world. We bless them in Jesus' name. We, we pray that you would give them wisdom. But we also declare in our heart that we will only listen to one voice. At the end of the day, we choose one voice. And that's your voice. When you turn, it means you turn from something to something. So as you're kneeling, as you have your hands open to receive something, just let go of whatever that is. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's something you've been struggling with for a long time. But now's your moment to let that go. To not to let your heart get hard in these moments, but to let Jesus soften it so you can hear him and see him and feel him as you turn and turn and turn back to the Father, as you run back to the Father again and again and again and again.